hate when it asks you questions. And like, I just want you to start. That's all I want you to do. Just listen to what my finger tells you to do. Go. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord. Welcome back. Welcome back. We are going to take a time to pray for the offering, pray for any needs. Anybody have any needs tonight? Yes, a lot of needs, lots of needs, lots of needs. Probably too many to list, but the Lord knows them all. Amen. Amen. He knows be, He knows before you even think to ask. Yes, ma'am. I'd like to pray for my wound nurse, Jackie. Jackie, her wound nurse. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, and her daughter, Peyton. I'm trying to Peyton. Peyton. I'm trying to get No, but I'll tell you this. The Lord knew the day and age that they were going to live and has equipped them to handle it. I believe that. He knew who was going to be alive on the earth when he was going to come, and he picked them for such a time as this. They are able through him to do it. Amen. Amen. We'll pray for them. We're going to pray for them. And uh, we're going to pray for the offering. We're going to pray for our lesson. Let's pray for the rest of them that are going on also. So, Father, we thank you for this time that we've been able to come together and honor you. I pray that you would help us to minister the, the bread of life, that it would nourish our spirits and our hearts and our minds. And Lord, we lift up those that are sick in body, those that have made mention of their need by the uplifted hand. You know the need, and you knew it before we even thought to ask about it, Lord. And I thank you that you're faithful. You're faithful who promised. You're faithful to do it. You're faithful to perform it. Father, you're not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And Lord, stretch forth your hand, Lord, to Sister Red's wound care nurse and her daughter and that family, Lord. And whosoever will, let them come. Let them come and drink of the waters of life freely. Lord, we thank you for your anointing and your presence in this place. Anoint every lesson that's going on tonight. Anoint my lips. Anoint Brother Tex. Anoint Brother Jordan as we minister your word. Anoint the ears of the hearer. And let us receive instruction, Lord. And we thank you for the gifts that we brought to your house. We want you to bless them, multiply them, and use them for your glory to further your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, and bless those that give, we ask in the name of Jesus. And everybody say, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So, um, Amen. Amen. And so, I think I was telling Sister Dumas or Sister Manning, I can't remember when I was talking before class, that every week I'm going to continue to have the alphabet, the Aleph bet at the back of your paperwork because the way I see it is when we went to kindergarten, you didn't go to school the first day and they showed you the alphabet and then you just forgot about it, right? It was by repetition that you learned the letters, right? You learned to recognize their letter, their character, their name, the sound that they made. So we're going to continue, Lord willing, every week to go through the Aleph bet. So just like faith comes by hearing, memory comes by repetition. Amen. So we continue to put this before us. We're going to learn what these letters look like, what they sound like. And so we'll just kind of move through this. Uh, you ready? Praise the Lord. Aleph. Bet. Or vet without the dot. Vet without the dot. Or bet with the dot. Gimel. Dalet. He. Vav. Now, vav oftentimes when it's at the end of a word actually will make a U sound. Like Elohenu, it'll sound like that. The Lord, our God, it's used a lot of times. Actually, at the end of a word, it means our. When you put it at the end of a word, nu, like that, it means our. So Elohenu means our God. Um, but yeah, so oftentimes at the end of the word, it'll sound like a U and not so much a V. The next word is Zion. Here's a fun one. Chet. Good, y'all got that. Tet. Yod, Yod. Kaf, Kaf. 
Kasofit. Now, just a refresher, they're, they're actually, they make the same noise, but depending on where it appears in the word, you write it differently, right? So the regular kaf would be if it's not the last letter, kasofit is if it is the last letter. Okay, lamed, mem, mem, and then the next one is mem sofit. So that's also the M if it appears at the end of a word only. Nun, and then nun sofit. Samech, not sandwich, right? <laughs> Bring me a sandwich. Ein, pe, or fe. Sadi. No. No. Um, yes, there actually there is. So there's pe or fe with a dot or without the dot. Okay. But then the next one is fe sofit. Fe sofit. And the next one is sadi. And remember, I told you this one. It looks like you could picture somebody on their knees with their hands lifted praying. In Hebrew, a sadik is a righteous person. So it kind of helps you remember the name of that letter, a sadi. And then the next one is Sadi Sofit. Looks like someone's standing with their hands raised. Kof. No, it's fine. Resh. Shin. Now remember this one, depending on where you put a dot on the left or the right, it's Shin or Sin. Okay, if the dot is on the left, what letter is that? Because sin is never right. That's right. So if it's on the left, if that dot is on the left, it's sin. Because sin is never right. If that dot is on the right, it's sheen. And then that last letter is tav. Tav. And that is the aleph bet. Any questions tonight? Praise the Lord. Now, I knew... I knew last week there was something I missed when I went home, and I was like, ah, I forgot to talk about that. So before we start with the new stuff, I want to kind of revisit the Tetragrammaton. Does anybody remember what the Tetragrammaton was? Yes. Y-H-W-H. Yah and Way. So a refresher. The Hebrews will not say Yah and Way together. They will say it just like I did, Yah and Way, or they'll say Adonai. They'll say Hashem, or, and I wrote down the other one that I told you about last week, um, what it is. It is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Say that one again. HaKadosh mm-hmm. Baruch Hu. It's H-A-K-A-D-O-S-H, and then B-A-R-A-C-H-U. And it means the Holy and Blessed One. Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Yes, sir. So you said they won't say Yah and Way Way together. So they don't say Yahweh. No. 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 And the reason, again, was because of the third commandment not to take the name of the Lord in vain, 
which in essence means don't make his name so common, just like every other word. So they will say Hashem, which literally just means the name Adonai, Hakodesh Baruch Hu. So where did Yahweh come from? It is, it is the pronunciation of what he told Moses at the burning bush. Okay? So that is the name. So up until that point, we'll talk about it a little bit tonight. Up until that point, when God appeared to Moses at the burning bush, he says, unto your fathers, I was known as God Almighty or El Shaddai. Unto them, I was not known by this name of the I am. So, but this is my memorial name. This is my name forever, he says, right? So with that, they, even in, even in the stuff, the materials that I get from my class, if he writes the word God, he'll put G hyphen D. He won't even spell out God. He'll say Yah and Way, just like that. When he's talking about that, or he'll say Hashem, he'll say Adonai. Um, so let's, let's kind of get into this right now to get spots. So this YH... WH scholars will call it the Tetragrammaton. We talked about that last week. Literally, it's those four letters that symbolize the name of God. And so if you'll recall, um, it literally, when he said, I am that I am, that's what he told Moses. And this is my name forever. And so when you see God's name anywhere in scripture where it's all capitalized, it's incorporating this name. And so when you look at Luke chapter 1, we read this last week where Jesus, when, when the angel appears to Mary and says, You're gonna, thou shalt call his name Jesus, and all of the letters were capitalized, is because the name of Yah is in there. It's Yahshua. And so that's why it's all capitalized. So, okay, so we're going to keep going from there. Um, this, this ineffable name, Adonai, Hashem, HaKadosh, Baruch Hu, in, in John's gospel account, he references a prophecy of Zechariah. In 19 and 37, John says, And again another scripture saith, They shall look upon him whom they pierced. Zechariah said, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. Who said I will pour upon? The Lord did, correct? The Lord says, I will pour upon. And then he says, And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. So in Pele, we talked about Paleo Hebrew, right? So where um, the Aleph and the Tav were like a bullock and a cross, right? So it represented the sacrifice, the atonement on the cross. Well, it's the same thing with these four letters, YH and WH in Proto-Hebrew. There's pictures that are used to represent these things. And in a minute, I'll tell you what they mean after we read another scripture. Jesus said this in 8.28. Um, Jesus said unto them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you shall know that I am, that's Yah, he, that I am he. Whenever Jesus says I am, he's saying I'm Yahweh. I am Yahweh. Okay. So you've got this picture of these, these letters. And um, so let me just, uh, uh, it's really kind of cool, okay? Um, literally, it makes a sentence, the Y, the H, the W, H. Remember, it's Y, H, W, H to us, but it's the other way, right? Because we go left to right, they go right to left when they read. And so literally, these pictures of these letters 
And Jesus saying, when you, when you lift me up, when you put me on the cross, one, you're going to know I'm he because you're going to see my name in Hebrew because their eyes are trained to look at that first letter, which is Yeshua, Hadnasorai, Velemic, Hayahudim. So they look at the first letter, which would be Y-H-W-H. But it also says in the Proto-Hebrew, it says, um, behold the hand, behold the nail. That's what those letters mean. Behold the hand and behold the nail. Feel the Holy Ghost. So when they read it backwards. That's what they're reading. Reading like the picture that they see? Yeah. They, their eyes know what those, number, what those letters originally were. And so they know that it's saying, he's, here's this man on the cross, Y-H-W-H. Look at the hand and look at the hole in it. And when you do, you're going to know that I am. Man, does anybody else feel the Holy Ghost? Okay, so listen to what, listen to John 24 and 27 says. Um, I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, wow. I think, I think we're good, yeah? Like, I mean, just, so Jesus said, when you've lifted me up, you're going to know that I'm he. You're going to look upon him whom you have pierced. And you're going to know. And so they, he says, he goes to Thomas. Let's, let's, let's go. John 20, 24, 27. Let's just read that. Let's just read that. It's too good to pass up. If we have to skip or uh, hold some of it for next time, we will. The pictures, right. The pictures that morphed into the letters, these characters that they use now. That's really hard. That's hard to wrap my mind around. No, not at all. Someone's praying, kneeling, or praying, saying, that's not the picture they see. It's kind of like you can find it on the internet. They still have, they have references of what the proto or paleo Hebrew letters look like. It's fascinating. So John 20, 24 through 27. So Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Thomas said to them, except I shall see the hands in his hands, the print of the nail. And put my finger into the print of the nail and thrust my hand in his side. I won't believe. Mm -hmm. Thomas said, except I see the hole in his hand and the nail print, I'm not going to believe. So when Jesus comes to him, what does he say, Thomas? Behold the hand. Thomas, do you now believe? Do you see the hole in my hand? But now do you believe I am he? Behold the hand and behold the nail. That's his name. When you see the hole in the hand, you're going to know that I am he. Wow. It's powerful. I don't, I don't know how if you're a Hebrew, except that he has literally blinded the eyes of them that would believe to turn to us. That they could read this, see this, understand this, and not believe. Thank God. Thank God that he has allowed us. Amen? Amen. Okay. So your term of the week, Baruch Hashem, literally translated means bless the name. It's kind of like we say, praise the Lord. Baruch Hashem, bless the name. Bless the name. And I'm going to give you, um, I didn't put this in the handout. I thought about this later, just 
just for something kind of good and something common to do, um, just normal greetings. So in Hebrew, T-O-V, Tov, means good. Tov. Tov means good. Okay, so Y-O-M, Yom, means day. Day. Y, T-O-V, means good. Uh, these are just blank. These are extras. I didn't put these on there. Oh, okay. yeah. I thought about this after the fact. I was like, man, it would just be nice to have some common greetings. Yeah, these, these are not in your notes. These are all extra. These are. Yes, ma'am, I will. I will start over. So the first one, tov, T-O-V, means good. Yom, Y-O-M, is day, D-A-Y, day. But I will tell you, you do not typically say Yom Tov because Yom Tov is, refer, is used to refer to holy days. Yom. Yom Tov, like if you say, hey, good day, you don't typically say that in Hebrew because that greeting is used for special occasions, like feast days. Then Lela, L-A-I-L-A, Lela, that means night. So you could say... Lela Tov means good night. Lela Tov. That's why I wanted y'all to learn these. It's just because it's fun to have, you know. Lela Tov. Yeah, night good. Lela Tov. Yeah, it's backwards. Okay. No. Lela Tov. Lela Tov. It's backwards. Lela Tov. Night good. In English, it would literally be night good, but it's Lela Tov. Okay. Boker. B O K E R is morning. So Boker Tov is good morning. B O K E R. E R. Morning. Or as Amelia says, the E R. When we had to take her to for a broken toe to the ER little little place by firehouse. She, I don't want to go to the ER. <laughs> and then we'll drive by it. Now she goes, that might ER. <laughs> All right, so Boker Tov is good morning. And one more. Erev, E-R-E-V. E-R-E-V is evening. So yeah, E-R-E-V. Erev. Erev. Erev Tov. Erev. Erev. Yeah. Erev Tov. Good evening. Evening. Good evening. So do you know, if you don't use good day, you don't use Yom Tov in regular conversation, what do you normally say? Uh, the, you would say Boker Tov, like good morning, yeah, good evening, yeah, just depending. But, but you really like that Yom Tov. It is reserved for things like Hanukkah, feast days, other celebrations. Yeah. I mean, you could, and somebody like a native, yeah, a native speaker would know what you're trying to say, but they would understand that you're not a native speaker because you're you're just. But they would probably appreciate the fact that you know what I mean. Yeah. All right. Who's ready for our list? Okay. Uh, one thing I did also forget last week is to explain what a transliteration is. And because there's a difference between a transliteration and a translation. So a transliteration means basically how you would write that word in another language. So when you see the Hebrew characters in that one column, 
then you see the transliteration. That's how you pronounce it or write it in the English equivalent. Or if we were doing this Hebrew to Spanish, whatever that equivalent would be. So it's transliteration is basically just how you write that word in another language. And then the translation is what does that word mean? Does that make sense? Clear as mud? It's all Greek to us. I mean, it's all Hebrew. If that joke gets old, please tell me and I'll stop. All right, let's go down our list. You ready? This first word, av, av, it means father, av, father. Go back to your front. Yeah, go back to the front. Remember, we do. We started in the back to do the alphabet, the alphabet, and now we'll go to the front of the second class. Week two. Week two. Av, it means father. 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 And now, Abba means daddy. There's a big difference between calling someone father and daddy. Because anybody, anybody can be a father, but it takes someone special to be daddy. And that's why when we cry by the Spirit, Abba, daddy. There's a relationship that, that, that symbolizes relationship. And I, I mean, that, that'll preach. Whether we can call him Abba, it's daddy. Nah, I mean, you could, but really just, why? Just Abba, Abba, my Abba, daddy. Ima, it really does mean daddy. We, whereby it is by the Spirit, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Where we are able to even, because, you know, Romans 8 says, if any man hath not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. It's the Spirit of adoption. So it's by that Spirit that we're able to call him Daddy. Wow. And then it's, it's only by the Spirit that we can call him Daddy. Man, I feel like that. Only by the Spirit. It is. So what really, really what that symbolizes is, you know, Malachi, I think it's Malachi 3, talks about whereby he hath made one, and in him was the residue of the spirit, talking about Adam. Adam was the first son, right? Adam means first blood. Dam means blood. Ah means first, first blood. And so there was the residue of spirit of the spirit in Adam. When, you, when he told Adam in that day that you eat of that fruit, you're going to surely die. He took the spirit, but he left a residue so that you and me, just like just like in Adam, we all sinned so that sin and the guilt and the the transgression was passed down from Adam through generation to generation because the entire world was in Adam when he sinned. But likewise, the entire world was in Adam when God took the spirit. But there was the residue. So you and me, when we are born, we still have that residue. So it's when if you weren't raised in this. You won't understand as much, but I was not raised in this. But the first time I walked into an atmosphere that had the Holy Ghost moving, I sensed it because that residue was in me. So it's like you say, this is daddy's house. The the residue of the spirit that God left was so that you could recognize when you were in his presence. (laughs) I mean, yes, sir. When... Jesus was on the cross. Yes, sir. And he was fixing to give up the ghost. Yes. And he said, 
he said Abba or Abba. Uh, the relation, the translation is Father. Why hast thou forsaken me? Father, why hast thou forsaken me? Yeah. yeah. Father, why hast thou forsaken me? So it, it was Abba or Abba. I don't know because that's in Greek. Oh, okay. Actually, it would be Aramaic, but. It's written in Greek, but Jesus was speaking Aramaic, but the Greek translation. But oh, okay. I'm not sure. That's a good thought, Brother Carr. Good thought. But essentially, it's only by the Spirit we can call him Father. If any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. I mean, that's you, how can you refute the necessity of having the Holy Ghost? Right? You're, you're not his children. You're illegitimate. You know, you, wow, yeah, that's, that's something for another time. Let me, let me move on. Okay, Ima means mother, mother. Now here's a good example of what I told you about uh, the new is Avram, Avinu, means Abraham, our father. So you know the three patriarchs of the Jewish faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's Avinu. That's their patriarchs, the father of the faith. So Avram, Avinu means Abraham, our father. Anybody want to guess what Sarah Imenu means? Sarah, our mother. Sarah, our mother. <laughs> Boom, bonus points. If we were giving any, you got them. <laughs> Sarah Imenu. Now we talked about this one, Baruch. What does that mean? Bless. 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 Baruch Hashem. Remember, bless the name. Praise the Lord. Okay, Melech, Melech, King, Melech. We talked about this a little bit. El Shaddai, God Almighty, God Almighty. I did skip one. Melech, King. I thought I said that. What? Oh, Sadiq, Sadiq, Sadiq. Means righteous, righteous. Remember that letter Sadi. The Sadiq is a right is righteous. That's not on my list for some reason. That's weird. It got cut off. Okay, then El Shaddai. So we got Melech. Y'all got Melech means king. So then I'll talk about this later, but I'll just throw it in here. So Melchizedek. It's those two words put together. King of righteousness. Melech and Sadiq. Melchizedek. King of righteousness. Okay, then El Shaddai is God Almighty. Ein, which is kind of like English, like we have the letter I, but we also have I. So Ein, that word, is how you would spell that letter. But the Aleph and the Lamed together spell the word Ein, which means I. Eyeball. Yeah, like Abba. The I. Okay. Lechem. Lechem means bread. That's why Beth Lechem means house of bread. Beth Lechem, house of bread. Be just a freebie. House of bread. So Lechem means bread. Lev means your heart. Heart. Lev. Love God with your lev. Ben, Ben, son, 
Ben Yamin means son of my right hand. Ben, son. And then daughter, I didn't put this in there, but daughter is Bat, B-A-T. Bat is daughter. So you're like a Bat mitzvah. It's when a daughter comes of age. Bar is actually the Aramaic translation of, of Ben. So it's Bar mitzvah, Bat mitzvah. Was the mitzvah make party? Uh, it's like a celebration, yeah, kind of, yeah. Mitzvot, mitzvot is commandment, so it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's very interesting. Okay, akera, akera. Akera means bind, B-I-N-D, bind. Bind, akera. We'll talk about this tonight in detail. And then this word we mentioned last week is yere. Yere means to see to it. Or provide, but literally the Hebrew word means see to it. So, Sister Sister Dumas, last week I, I tried to explain a little bit about we say Jehovah Jireh, but in Hebrew there's no J sound, and Jehovah is really an unbiblical word. So, what they've done, the translators took the letters for Yah and Way, and the word, the letters Adonai, and merged them. And made them into Jehovah so that they have something to say. So it's not non prophet that's meaning the God, it's man made. Jehovah is man made. So, more appropriately, would be Adonai Yireh. Adonai Yireh. The Lord will see to it, the Lord will provide. Okay? All right. So let's get into some of this stuff here. Um, okay. All right. So we're going to talk about a little bit more tonight than we had time for last week. Last week we kind of focused on like two verses literally, um, two or three verses, and mostly almost just one word. Um, if you missed it, it's on the website. I encourage you to go listen to that and listen to the other ones. They're all there. Um, but tonight we're going to cover a little bit of a broader array of scripture. Um, because we're going to focus quite a bit on Avram Avinu, the one whose name we learned today. So Abraham, Avram Avinu. Um, so in Loshan HaKodesh, which is the holy tongue, what they call Hebrew, Loshan HaKodesh is Avram Avinu. Um, we might talk about Sarah a little bit, depending on time. Um, so in Judaism, as I mentioned, there are three patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Oftentimes when you read in the Old Testament, you see the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, which signifies to us that he's a God of relationship, right? He wasn't the God of Abraham until Abraham walked with him. He wasn't Isaac's God or Jacob's God until they became into relationship with him. He was Abraham's God until they got into covenant. And then he becomes there. So it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But there's one who oftentimes... I don't know about you, but I've wondered why was he overlooked? He being Noah, Noah in Hebrew, Noah. Why, why is Noah not included in the list of patriarchs? I mean, he built an ark, right? To the saving of the souls of his family, whereby water, we know that eight souls were saved, that he was a preacher of righteousness for about a hundred years. He prepared the ark and preached. And I'll tell you, uh, the, the, the Torah says that Noah was perfect, it says, in his generation. He was perfect in his generation, which literally means he was perfect compared to 
his generation. Not compared to what God desired or required, but compared to his generation, he was perfect. Compared to the world around him, he was perfect. Um, so, and it says that Noah found grace in Hebrew grace is chen. C-H-E-N is grace. Chen. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So you can't tell me that New Testament only has grace. But there's grace in the first covenant. Amen? There's grace. God has always given grace. Grace was in the garden with Adam and Eve. Grace has always been there. It's just the way grace has been dispensated or delivered to us may change. But anyways, uh, Noah found grace. But why is he not the father of the faithful? Why is he not listed as a patriarch? Um, So while the ark was preparing, we know that he preached to his generation about getting into the ark. Stop doing what you're doing and get in the ark. Right? We know that he did. The Bible declares it. Um, Likely, I would imagine that Noah told them what they needed to do to be saved. You better get in the ark. One of these days, rain's going to fall. And you imagine rain had never fallen. They probably looked Noah cross-eyed and said, you're crazy. Whatever you're doing, stop doing it because you're just nuts. You're just, you're, you're, you're crazy. It's never rained before. God waters the earth from the dew of the ground. It's never rained. What's rain? Well, and then as soon as those first raindrops began to fall, I'm sure their opinion of Noah changed, but it was too late because God had already called Noah into the ark. God had shut the door. But why isn't he a patriarch? Why is he not listed? Um, we never see the fact that Noah interceded for his generation. He preached righteousness, but he never interceded on their behalf. He told them what to do to be saved, but we don't ever see him turning that conversation upward for the people that were going to perish. Where Abraham, when he overlooked the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, Lord, if there's 50 that are are righteous there, will you save them? If there's 40, if there's 30, if there's 25, Lord, would you spare them? Abraham interceded. So I think that that shows us what it takes to be in a relationship. We can't just have it right, but we've got to intercede on the behalf of the ones that don't have it right. That we've got to be an intercessor for the transgressor. Amen? So I want to talk about Avram Avinu because some of this stuff we'll talk about is directly from the word. Some of this stuff is, is taken from Jewish history. And some of it is from old commentaries, and I mean like ancient commentaries. Um, so, so that's where we'll start. According to a historical commentary, God chose Avram Avinu because he was willing to take a stand against idolatry. Okay, it is commonly thought. Um, let me back up. Take a sip of water. Avram Avinu. It's in your. It's in the uh, first part, Sister Rick. It's up here. It's in your next. It's in your. It's Abraham. It's Abraham. So, think about it. Abraham didn't meet God until he's 75 years old. He didn't meet the Lord until he's 75. Okay. So why? How was he chosen? How would God just? He wouldn't randomly just pick somebody. So, but this is the common line of thinking is that um, when he was 75 and he was called out from the country where he was raised, called away from his family, called away from his father's house to a place he didn't know, but why? Because he takes a stand. It is taught that Terah, Abraham's father, 
was in the business of idol making and idol worshiping. And he was very good at it. And so he would travel the known world to sell these idols to different people. They would come to him and he'd form them and fashion them and sell them and do all these things. And so Abraham didn't like it. Avram didn't like it. And so one day when Terah goes away and leaves Avram in charge of the shop, Avram takes a club and destroys all of the idols except for the biggest one. And he puts the club in the hands of the biggest one and leaves the shop. And when Terah returns... He's like, oh my goodness, what happened? And Abraham says, I guess what happened is this one got mad and destroyed the rest of them. And Terah says, how is that possible? He's an idol. He doesn't move. And Abraham says, then why do we worship them? If he can't do anything, why do we worship him? Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. And so that is the moment when God says, there's one that I can use. There's one that will take a stand against idolatry. There's one that will take a stand against the abominations of this world that I can call upon. So he calls him and separates him and calls him into a land that he does not know. And in, in Bereshis, which is Genesis, Bereshis 12, 1 through 12 and 3, there is a sevenfold covenant that God gives to Abraham. It's a sevenfold covenant. He says, one, I'm going to make you a great nation. 12, 1 through 12, 3 in Genesis. Bereshis. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation. God says, I'm going to bless you. Number three, God says, I'm going to make your name great. He tells Aram, you will be a blessing. He says, I will bless them that bless you. And what's the other side of that coin? I will curse them that curse you. And then he says, in you, in you will all of the families of the earth be blessed. So this is fascinating. When two parties enter into a covenant, it was common that they would take animals, literally cut them in half, and lay them on the earth. And the greater party that was binding himself in this covenant would pass through the body parts. So um, let's go to Genesis. 15, Genesis 15. We're not going to have time to go through all of this tonight, but that's okay. Is, is this okay? Genesis 15, 1 through 10. I'm going to read. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, for I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, thus Adonai, what will you give me? Seeing that I go childless and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. Basically, he's saying my next in command is not my own son, but he's my servant. And so according to history, according to tradition, what would happen is if he had no progeny, his belongings would go to his next in command, his, his basically house servant. So he's saying this is the only one I have. Is everything that you've promised me not going to go to my own seed, but to my house servant? 
And he says, Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, telling God Eliezer, This is not going to be your heir. This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look toward heaven, and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Quite a promise. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Lord, how am I going to know that I'm going to get this land that you're promising? And he said unto him, take, on a, take an heifer three years old, a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each one piece against another. But the bird divided it not because the birds were so small. He just killed the bird and laid them down. Okay. So then there's this place in Hebrews. Um, let me read it. Hebrews six thirteen through 20. Okay, ready? For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will bless thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater. Whoever the greater in the party is, that's who you're swearing by. They're the one that are really making the oath, right? If there's somebody that doesn't have what you have, how can they swear to you? They're going to give you anything you don't have. So God is the one that is making this oath where they swear by the greater. An oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, that means the unchanging of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made in high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And there's that Melech and Sadiq, righteous king. So this is this that we just read in Hebrews is referring to what we just read in Genesis, where God tells Abraham, take these animals, cut them in half and lay them on the ground. Okay, so now let's go back to Genesis. Okay, so then those next few verses, 11 through 16, is again uh, kind of a reiteration of this promise. And then it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, okay, these body parts, these animals are still laying on the ground. Behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between those pieces. That God himself came down and passed between those pieces that he told Abraham to lay apart. That's 17, 15 and 17. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, unto thy seed have I given this land from the river. And what, what that says is what, what the parties are saying that when they enter into this covenant, the greater party says, basically, if I break my covenant with you, let it be done to me what has been done to these animals. When I break my covenant, 
let me be cut asunder. Let me be divided in half if I break my covenant with you. And so God himself passed through these parts of these animals to confirm that oath to Abraham that this is going to be your land and I'm going to give you seed and I'm going to give you offspring that's innumerable. So, in Genesis 17, Hashem reiterates this covenant with Abraham Avinu, okay? He says, but he introduces something else. God told him to split these animals in half, and I'm going to bind in agreement with you, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to see to it. But in Genesis 17, we see that there's something required of Abraham, something that Abraham has not yet been introduced to, and that's circumcision. In Hebrew, it's called the bris milah. Bris means covenant. B-R-I-S. Bris. Sometimes they'll refer to circumcision just as bris, but it's more common, more, I guess, appropriate to call it bris milah. M-I-L-A-H. Bris milah refers to specifically the circumcision, the covenant of circumcision, which literally means a covenant of cutting away the flesh. Cutting away the flesh. Because to be in covenant, we must cut away the flesh. It's a physical cutting away of the skin and entering into covenant with Hashem. So there, the timing of this introduction, of this, this covenant to Abraham is, is interesting because you'll notice that when God tells him, this is what you're going to do, you're going to cut away your foreskin and the foreskin of those that are with you, he's already fathered Ishmael. He's already had seed with Hagar, which Ishmael basically is Shema, listen, or hear, El, so it means God hears. Ishmael means God hears. Ishmael means God hears. He's the father of the Muslims. He's a wild man, and he will be at war with everybody and everybody with him. What the Bible says about Ishmael forever. So he fathers Ishmael before circumcision. So before the bris, which tells me that we cannot produce spiritual offspring before we're in covenant. Everything you do before that is of the flesh. Right? He produced offspring of his own will, of his own desire. Mommy. There she is, Wayne. There she is. You're good. Thank you. No, no, you're good. You're good. You're good. So for us to produce spiritual offspring, what we have to first do is put away the filth of the flesh. Ishmael was not a spiritual offspring. He was a carnal offspring where Sarah and Abraham and Hagar decided to try to do things their own way before covenant. He's the offspring of the flesh, right? And as much as he sent him away, there were still consequences, right? You could do things in the flesh, but there's still consequences even after you've gotten the covenant. Amen. So we must separate Romans uh, 7 says, Paul says, I am spiritual. I am carnal, but the law is spiritual. Right? So he's entering in now the spiritual law. 
He says, my, old, my past is carnal, but now I'm entering into this covenant with God where I've cut away the flesh, put away the flesh. And um, so, so Abraham is still out of covenant when he produces that. And then we know Ishmael is not the child of promise. And it's interesting, too, to note that after Abraham is circumcised, after Abraham enters covenant, then he has angelic manifestation or visitation. So after he gets into covenant, the angels come and visit. That before he's producing carnal offspring, the flesh is at work, everything's working against him, but then he decides, okay, God, you've got a covenant with me. I'm going to get into covenant with you. And then spiritual things begin to happen. So imagine, Abraham has just cut away the flesh. It's, it's surgery. And he's 90 years old. So imagine, that would be very painful. So he's sitting outside of this tent, kind of recovering, trying to relax, trying to recover. And these angels come. And, and he's sitting in this place. And, and the reason I'm going to mention it tonight is because it shows up again and again in Scripture. We'll talk about it more. But there's this place that's called Ohel Sarah, which means the tent of Sarah. It's Ohel. O-H-E-L means tent. It's the tent of Sarah. He's waiting. He's sitting outside. O-H-E-L. Ohel. Sarah. Sarah's tent. I'll talk about it more other weeks, but I just kind of want to briefly talk about it here because it's very relevant. And again, like I said, it just appears again and again. So Genesis 18 and 1, it says that the Lord appeared unto him as he sat in the tent door. Sarah's tent. He's sitting in the tent door, trying to get some shade, trying to recover from the surgery that he's just had. And um, Abraham is asked in this conversation with these angels, they say, well, where is Sarah? And, and when we read it in English, it says, behold, in the tent. But in the Hebrew, it actually reads more like she's in the tent, of course. Because the tent represents so much more than just a place where you set up a, a shelter. A tent was a place of prayer. And so Abraham says, my righteous wife, this woman of prayer, where else would she be? She's in the tent. Wow. She's in the tent, of course. We'll talk about her later. Talk about that next week and maybe the week after that and the week after that. Just remember the tent. So I think man, maybe we can make it. I don't want to rush, but maybe we can make it. So then we know that Sarah conceives and she bears a son, the promised son, right? And God tells him, take your son, your only son, Isaac, up this hill, right? So let's talk about what we talk about, the Akedah, the binding. This is the Akedah of Yitzhak, Isaac's binding. Or the binding of Isaac, it's Genesis 22. Genesis 22, but before... I read that. You ever read 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul's talking about the gospel? And he's saying, you know, it's the death, it's the burial, it's the resurrection. And two times, two times he says um, that according to the scriptures, so, so, so. According to the scriptures, this, this, this. But what scriptures is he talking about? Because mind you, there's no gospel written. There's no New Testament written when Paul was writing this. So he says, according to the scriptures. So he's talking about the Old Testament. And so I'm going to try my best to show you as many times as I can what Paul's talking about in the scriptures where the gospel was preached in the Old Testament. So we learned last week 
about the Aleph and Tav, the first, the last, the sacrificial lamb, right? The word that was in the beginning, okay? And then how the spirit and there was the turning to God, the spirit of God hovered upon the face of the deep, right? And how that symbolizes repentance, water baptism, spirit baptism, okay? So listen, listen to this. Um, God tells Abraham to take his only son up the mountain and to offer him as a sacrifice. But there is no promise of blessing tied to what he's telling him to do. God's already told him the blessings. But now he says, okay, now you're going to enter into covenant with me. You've offered me your flesh. Now offer me your offspring. And so he says, I want you to take your only son, Isaac. So this is not about blessing, but this is strictly about obedience. And, and so does anyone want to take a guess as to how old Isaac is at the time? Twelve. I told you already. <laughs> He's 37. He is 37 years old when Abraham takes him up this mountain. Abraham is 137. Isaac is 37 years old. The Jews keep meticulous notes. They date everything. So they know he's 37. And so he takes him up this hill. And so, so Genesis 37, 2 and 4, he says, Take thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. Get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham arose up early in the morning and saddled his ass, took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place which God had told him. And listen to this. It says, then on the third day, so you got three days. Three days ago, God told him, you're going to kill your son. So in Abraham's mind, for three days, Isaac's already been dead. Going up this mountain, Isaac is dead for three days. Okay? Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. For three days, he's dead. He's as good as dead. Okay? In verse 6, it says, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. So you got a son going up a mountain with wood on his back. You ever you picturing that? You got a son going up a mountain and he's got wood on his back. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Okay, it gets better. Trust me, it gets better. Okay. Okay. And so he says he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they both went them together. And so this mountain, it's not just a random mountain. This mountain that, God, that, that Abraham is taking Isaac up is the same mountain. It's the same mountain where Moses gets the commandments. It's the same mountain where Ornan gives David the th- sells David the threshing floor for the sacrifices and they build a temple. And it's on the same side of this mountain that Jesus himself is crucified. That's, that's a mountain. I mean, so you've got this son taking wood up his back on the same mountain where on the other side is Calvary. And that's about between Abraham and Jesus. That's about what? Two thousand years. Two thousand years. About two thousand years. Okay. So this this son is going up this mountain on the same mountain where God will provide Himself a lamb. That's what that's what Abraham told Isaac, isn't it? God will provide Himself a lamb for sacrifice. 
on this mountain. So Abraham builds an altar there. He gets the wooden order for the sacrifice. And in verse 9 it says, He bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Now Isaac's 37. Abraham's 137. Who do you think is stronger? Who do you think is faster? Who do you think, if he wanted to, could have gotten away very easily? Okay? So this, according to the Midrash, which is an ancient Jewish commentary at the time of this Akedah, where Avram Avinu is binding Isaac. This is, man, this gets me every time. He says, Father, bind me tightly, lest for fear I tremble. Bind me so tight, Father, that even if I wanted to, I couldn't run from the sacrifice. Bind me so tightly, Father, to this wood, that when my spirit rises up in me against the sacrifice, because the flesh is weak, but the spirit's willing. Father, bind me tightly to my altar. Mm, just lift your hands for a moment. Father, bind us tightly to an altar. Bind us tightly, Lord, to not only your promises, but, Lord, to the sacrifices that are required of us, Lord, that we might have the faith of Isaac to offer ourselves a living sacrifice, Father, holy and acceptable unto you, Lord, which is our reasonable service. Bind us tightly, Father, lest we tremble from fear. Bind us tightly, Father, lest when we see the knife that's about to be plunged, we should run, Father. Bind us ever so tightly, Father. says, Father, while my faith is strong, bind me tightly. Bind me tightly, Father, while my faith is able to endure this sacrifice. Kind of brings a whole new meaning to a daily sacrifice. <laughs> to present your bodies a living sacrifice. There's a, a word in Greek, euakelion, I believe it is. That basically if the gospel is good news, that you, you a Kellyon, I'm saying I'm butchering that, basically means the sacrifice that you would offer in thanksgiving to the good news. Whew. And that when we get good news, and Paul says, therefore, brethren, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your body the living sacrifice, that out of thanksgiving for what, is God, that what, is God, what God has done, we should just freely offer us as that sacrifice. Praise God. So, wow. So, so, Avram Avinu is about to plunge this knife into Isaac, and he hears the voice says, Stop. I know you're going to go through with it. Put it down. And Abraham hears a noise, this substitution, if you will, for his son. And it's a ram. A male lamb, brother Carr, caught in a thicket by his horns. So you've got a male lamb crowned with thorns. 
That's the substitution. The scriptures tell us, according to the scriptures, that he was dead and buried and rose again the third day. This is what Paul's talking about. That there is a sacrificial animal on this mountain where our Lord would come and die. And this ram is crowned with thorns. Now I'm 69 years old. And that's the first time that's been explained to me. So when it was after three days. After three days, he's now alive again. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. That his son, who was dead, is now alive. So lastly, I'll finish with this. I talked about it last week. So this is the place where Abraham introduces us to another name for the Lord. And he says, All of the things that he has promised me, he will see to it that he performs it. He is That every promise in him, Sister Dumas, is yea, and in him, amen. That he is your yireh. That everything that he has spoken, will he not make it good? <laughs> that it, it means so much more than just our provider. But it literally means that everything that I have given you here, I will see to it that I perform it. Sure. <laughs> Father, thank you. Lord, we trust you that you will hear it. You will see to it. Every promise through every circumstance, Lord, your word is unfailing. You are immutable. You are unchanging. And you will see to it yourself, Father. Because you could swear by no greater. You swore by yourself and you confirmed it with an oath. Hallelujah, that you will see to it, Father, that the promises of God in him, they are yea, and in him they are amen. They are forever settled in heaven, Father, and we put our trust, our hope, and our confidence in you and in you alone. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father.